0: Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory
1: forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. And my name's Marshall. And we have more microwave coffee. We do.
2: This has just kind of become a thing. It is. It's the leftovers from the moms and munchkins.
1: So, it it's... Pretty well known that uh, you go back and listen to all the episodes. I do. I don't. Uh, ooh. Also, not listened to in my family, okay. my household. All right. Uh, but since we've been making a push on everyone should come here, the Reformation episodes, they've started playing in our house. Okay. And uh, took Tuesday to do some, some family time and uh we listened to about two and a half episodes oh wow and in that in that was the españa episode i think where we were first drinking microwave coffee and mocking ourselves for and since then it's just become what we do
2: it's been that every every time
1: yeah it's a tradition moms and munchkins makes coffee and then they put the leftovers in the fridge and we just partake that's right
2: (laughs) Waste not, want not. So, anyways, yeah, Yeah. Thank, thankful that the moms don't drink. It's a culinary
1: low. It's a cul- <laughs> this is what rock bottom feels like. This is where you look in the mirror and you wonder where you went wrong.
2: <laughs> That's great.
1: Let's talk about Johnny.
2: John Calvin. So, we come to John Calvin today. So, um, he's, he's kind of... Uh, kind of the first of the second generation of reformers, kind of. Yeah, I say so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because because he's born not after the Reformation begins, but he's but a child when Martin Luther is nailing his 95 Theses. Right. So, so he kind of comes to the party a little bit later.
1: So for all of the jumping back and forth we've been doing, mm-hmm. this isn't a jump back. This is a step back.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Chronologically.
2: Yes. Chronologically. Yeah. 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 And, and so our story begins, I guess, with John Calvin. Let's just, let's just talk about.
1: We have to. Yeah. A little lingering legacy of Calvin. (laughs) He is easily the most loved and most hated character in evangelical circles. I believe.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Love or hate. There is no, there's no neutral.
1: The people who love him. For them, he hung the moon. Mm-hmm. I I was watching Kevin DeYoung speak on this from a Gospel Coalition conference, and he read a poem, a, or, or a, an input from a man uh, who was talking about Calvin and called him the greatest teacher of Christian faith since the apostles themselves. And then he read from wow. a detractor. Mm-hmm. Uh, who had the opposite notion <laughs> the death of faith kind of a thing. Uh but but yeah, it's hard to find neutral ground with Calvin.
2: It really is. Yeah. It really
1: is. And and although people can appreciate what Luther has done, I've never heard anyone call themselves a Zwingliist. Right. Or a Grableist. <laughs> and and usually when someone is called an Arminian, they're being called that by someone else and not self-labeling. Mm-hmm. Although there are Arminians who would gladly yep. bear the name. We'll talk about Arminius later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the breadth across evangelicalism of people who would call themselves Calvinist, mm-hmm. I don't know. If there is, I don't know if there's a broader sweep across the evangelical circles where someone would link themselves to that person's theology. Mm. I, I just don't think that that's the case.
2: Yeah, I would say he's the most polarizing figure in the Protestant church. Yeah. Period. I think unquestionably.
1: Right. And so some people are going to hear this and they're going to be like, Calvin, and they're going to be like, oh, that's interesting. Some people are going to be like, Calvin, I've heard a lot about him. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about him. I'm here for it. Let's hear And mm-hmm. some people are going to be like, Calvin, oh, today we talk about yeah. the There's devil be himself.
2: Some, be, there might be some people who are like, if they speak one word against Calvin, I'm writing an email. And there'll be other people who will say, if they say one good thing about Calvin, I'm writing an email.
1: If you even mention that he had a great beard, <laughs> which he did. <laughs> I'm writing an email. Oh, man. That's all right. We got time to read emails. We got...
2: Well, sure, yeah. Uh, So John Calvin was born in 1509 in Noyon, in northern France. And his mother died when he was very young. And so his father raised him and his siblings. And his father was not a clergyman. uh, But he did do financial and legal work for the church. So John kind of grew up. In and around the establishment of the mm-hmm. Roman Catholic Church, he actually began working as a clerk for the local bishop when he was only twelve. Right, and at that point, kind of seemed destined to join the priesthood.
1: Yeah, used that money to save it up for saving up for
2: school. Yeah, and part of the money for school came from the generosity of other wealthy families that kind of quasi adopted him and kind of supported mm-hmm. his his future. And so he was it, able to attend school in Paris and, you know, where he learned Latin, went on to learn other subjects. Calvin, throughout his education, was well-versed in many subjects.
1: Yeah. He, I mean, he studied the humanities. That yeah. was that was his main reason for going. So yeah. with that comes the need to learn things like Greek.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he also studied arithmetic, mm-hmm. geometry, astronomy, and music, mm-hmm. and actually wrote Many, many songs later on in his life.
1: As, as did Luther, who, by the way, we didn't talk about Luther as a songwriter. Mm-hmm.
2: Luther's a songwriter and a poet. Mm-hmm. A Mighty Fortress is Our God is a Martin Luther classic. Um, however, John's father uh, eventually decided that he wanted him to become a lawyer instead of kind of pursue the, the priesthood. And he had him switch schools to study in Orléans, or Orleans, if you speak English uh John studies in or F- Orleans Orleans if you're or- from the or- south no Orleans in um John so John yeah he he became st- he he began studying a lot of classical literature because mm-hmm. a lot of legal studies actually relied on old Roman and Greek sources so his his Greek got a lot better
1: yeah which is i think all of this is worth noting uh, sometimes people like to put forth the notion that Christians believe what they believe because they just go on believing it and no one's ever really asked a question about it. Right. And and anyone who has uh, any sort of real institutional training, any real education, is going to be an atheist, just sort of by nature. That's because they've learned. Mm-hmm. You know, they went to school, they learned their alphabet, and now they know better. Um <laughs> But that's not the case. No, right. Over Luther, and over again, it's Luther, not the case. Yeah. a lawyer, mm-hmm. who then converts to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we're going to see the same here. C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. right, a scholar, famous for his scholarship, mm-hmm. converts to Christianity.
2: Right? Lee Strobel, an yeah. jur- investigative journalist. Yeah. These these issues these
1: issues that education disproves faith are just silly straw man yeah. arguments that are hung up.
2: Yep. And so while Calvin is getting this education, he starts to rub shoulders with some of those who were advocating reform in France. Now, the Reformation didn't really take in France like it did in other, in other places. No way. Um, but Luther's writings nonetheless were being circulated, and it was getting people talking. There was an outspoken Frenchman who was advocating for reform, Jacques Lefebvre d'etaple and, uh, and so some of the things he was writing were, were, were working their way through the academies. And there's a lot of debate regarding how Calvin came to Protestant convictions. Mm-hmm. Or when he came to maybe evangelical convictions is probably the way he would have described it. Um, and he writes about it in his, you know, when he's kind of recounting his own story there are moments where he talks about this this moment of conversion, but then there's other times where he talks about this this long process. Mm-hmm. And so some people, some historians looking at that say, "Oh, these are these are conflicting things," but I don't necessarily think they are. They right. need to be. There is a sense I think in which, for for many of us at least, you can point to a moment and you can point to a season. Mm-hmm. And so for Calvin, it's both. So so over the course of some time, and then eventually there is a meaningful moment. He comes to these different convictions are you going
1: to tell the story about the man in the street no you go ahead okay so at one point calvin is just walking through the street there in in france uh doing his thing and this man grabs him a very intimidating man as he would note sort of scares him a little bit he's trying to like not like escape fighting the man off but trying to figure out how do I get out of this situation kind of a thing and the man leans into him and says do you know of the free gift of God through grace Hmm. and Calvin is like I know who you are I know what you are right Right. (laughs) and then the story goes on that he uh, he writes to a family member not living in France and is like talking about other things but among things you know, this reformer guy bumped into me in the streets and he's saying these things and I don't whatever, right? And uh and and this family member, like an uncle, writes back and he's kinda like, You should hear him out, John. And John's mm-hmm. like, Oh my goodness, my uncle is one of these reformer guys. He's a heretic. He's a heretic. Mm-hmm. And as a good Catholic, which he was, he's bound to turn in his uncle but he doesn't want to, and and he's torn. And so wrestling with this, uh, he's walking through the streets and, and thinking these things over, and it just so happens that in the streets, they are burning a heretic, right there in the streets. And so he goes to sort of push his way in and get a look. The world is not today like it was.
2: No, no, it's not. And... <laughs> and we
1: we live in a very bizarre time and place where people don't choose to watch other people get executed. Yeah. Um, but for the totality of human history, executions were very public and people wanted to see.
2: What do you mean, Tim? I thought moral decay is at its supreme level now. And, and people are so always better.
1: You're making moral judgments on people of the past. <laughs> I'm <joking. laughs> and, so, and so he pushes his way in, and mm-hmm. as he's working his way in, he can hear the man yelling to the top of his lungs, but he's not screaming in pain. He's singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Wow. And he gets close enough to make eye contact with the man, and it was the man who had grabbed him on the street.
2: I didn't know the story
1: and let's just say rocked his world.
2: I bet. I bet. Wow.
1: That's the story as I've received it. Wow. So if you happen to be a scholar on Calvin, and you're like, well, it's a myth, and no one's sure if it really happened, I'd say, all right, I'll present it as much, mm-hmm. uh, but it is out there. That's a cool story.
2: Yeah. So Calvin is in Paris at this point, and he's continue, continuing his studies. He is working as a lawyer, and he's... Writing and teaching, and but there there's a conflict at the university there, and one of Calvin's friends, a man by the name of Nicholas Cop, speaks uses a speech that he has because he's a he's a in a position of authority at the university, so he gets to do a speech, and he uses essentially his speech to just speak openly about the need for the reform in in the Catholic Church, and immediately is deemed a heretic. Um, Mm. and is forced to, to flee and Calvin was implicated as well as an associate of his and was also forced to flee. And so spends the next few years on the run, just kind of hiding out in various places because he's been associated with this guy, Nicholas cop and is, you know, not wanting to be burned at the stake himself. Right.
1: And that's good reason to leave.
2: That's a good, that's a pretty good reason to skip town. People
1: have traveled for lesser reasons.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And Calvin eventually resigns what are called his benefices. Essentially they're his like, it's like his license from the church. Mm -hmm. Essentially he, he, he resigns them, turns them over um, because you know, his conviction, he's sold on this whole reform thing. And I think he gets to the point where he realizes this isn't going to happen this isn't going to be an internal thing right unfortunately the the Roman Catholic Church is not going to change. They're just going to kill everyone who says anything different, so I 'm out of and this. and
1: it sounds like we're just flying through his life story. Mm. We're in his early twenties.
2: Oh yeah, he's still a young man, yeah, very young man at this point. Uh, yeah, very young man. anyways, um so as calls for reform increased, um and there's this there's this thing called the Affair of the placards. And essentially like they're just posting these posters that are denouncing Roman Catholic doctrines like how the mass is done with mm-hmm. resacrificing Christ. I guess w- apparently, allegedly, one is even nailed to the door of the king's bedroom in the palace. Nice. So things are getting things are getting out of hand. So So when
1: we when we talked about the nailing onto the door with Luther mm-hmm. and how it probably wasn't this sort of rebellious mic drop moment. Maybe the king's bedroom door is that's, more that's a big of one. that. Yeah,
2: that's a big one. So at this point, Calvin just flees the country itself. And he finds himself in, in Basel in Switzerland. And like many places in Switzerland at this point, like Zurich with Zwingli, um, the city was already under the process, well on its way uh, mm-hmm. in the process of, of reformation. Um, so he's he's hanging out He's hanging out there. Yeah. Um, and within this like alarmingly short period of time like this very very short period of time that calvin has kind of embraced evangelical uh or reformed protestant whatever you want to call it convictions he publishes his first edition of his most famous work the institutes of the christian religion like the the when i'm reading through the timeline of his life how early this is published is just seems crazy to me like he's only he's only had protestant convictions for like a few years and then he writes this this magnum opus for him anyways Mm -hmm. on all the all you know it's essentially they're they're an apologetic work which means that it's making a defense of the reformed theology Um, but he also intended it to be used as a way to instruct new believers in the faith, it's kind of like a Christianity 101. Which, if you read it today, it doesn't feel like a Christianity 101. But that's maybe speaks to the lower standard that we have when it comes to discipling believers today. But that's a that's just a side rant that I don't need to go on. Right. Right. Um, but anyways, but the, the the institutes are this really famous work that he is that he's published.
1: Yeah, the first the first edition only covers I think six topics. It's got
2: six chapters, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not it's not as in now it's pretty thick.
2: It's eighty, I think, now, the yeah. last
1: one. It's it. so here's here's what you've gotta know about Calvin's works as opposed to a lot of the others. Mm. Um what do you what have you ever read by Conrad Grable? Nothing. What do you own written by Martin Luther? Nothing. Yeah.
2: I have his ins- I have Calvin's institutes, though.
1: I do too. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's it just, it just becomes. There are the instigators, and the solidifiers. Can mm-hmm. we look at it that way? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the instigators are the generation we've been talking about, and now we're getting into, the solidifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Calvin is is definitely that guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's. It gets to Geneva. He doesn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. Like, one, he is in exile. Two, there's a whole lot of junk going on in the name of Reformed theology. Right, yeah. When he's there, all these liberal groups, antinomian, this huge antinomian group. You're looking at me with wide eyes. It's fine. Am I, am I no, getting into something no, you're not skip, ready no, no, for?
2: No, you just you just skipped you skipped a bit, but that's okay. Yeah, okay. No,
1: no, go ahead. We'll come back to it.
2: Well, okay. So before he even gets to Geneva, because Geneva, like, sorry, Geneva is where you're right. Geneva is where he does most of his work. But he he bounces around and and he he actually like he actually goes back to France for a bit to to try to set his father's affair in order. So as a young man, he, he already lost his mother. Then he loses his father, um, and at the time that the king passes an edict, essentially that all Protestants have six months to either reconcile with the Catholic church or they're going to get out of France because they're all going to be killed Mm -hmm. across the entire nation. And so he flees, he wants to go to Strasbourg, um, but he can't, he can't get to Strasbourg because there's a war going on between France and the Holy Roman Empire. And so the reason he comes to Geneva is he's just passing through town. Right. Right, he just like it's just like he's taking the roundabout way to get to where he wants to go because he doesn't want to get caught in the middle of a battle, and that's where William Farrell convinces him to stay and serve as a pastor, even though he does, yeah, he doesn't want to be there.
1: Yeah, and, and he's like, you know what, I want to write, and I just want to go somewhere else and write. I wanna I want to go not here, <laughs> and and Farrell essentially tells him, God is going to curse your peace if you try to leave this town, because. Because and and really, Pharrell was in charge of pastoring that city. Mm-hmm. That was his post, and it was not going well. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny to me that he would make such a statement because <laughs> he's passing the buck. Yeah, is he not? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, he's just like. God, curse your peace if you leave me alone with these people. <laughs> can, you imagine, oh, can you imagine coming to me and being like, hey, I got my ordination. I'm two years out on my MDiv. I'm ready to take a senior pastorate. But things were so bad here that I was like, may God curse your ministry <laughs> and your family if you leave me in this church alone. How bad do things have to be? Oh, like, man. They, th-
2: yeah, they must have been bad.
1: <laughs> And and the, the the issue is bad. It's an antinomian issue. Yeah, it is. It, it, it is anti, meaning against, nomian, meaning law. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, people who have this is the, this is another instance of people taking the writings of Luther mm-hmm. and going, "Yay, let's twist them into our favor." Right? Yeah. So we talk about the peasant revolt, where yeah. people are like, "All things in common, awesome. I'm stealing your stuff," <laughs> and Luther's like, "No, no, not like that." <laughs> And and now they're taking Luther's yeah. sola gratia, yeah, yeah. by grace alone. Are yeah. you saved? And they're like, you want to see how big God's grace is? Yeah. God's grace is enough to cover all of our corporate sexual immoralities mm-hmm. and our public drunkenness and revelries of any sort that you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. That's how big our God is <laughs> and how wonderful his grace is. And they don't get to the part where Paul says, what then do we continue to sin so that grace may abound? by no means yeah. they're just like well you know like at some point you got to put the book down and start living the truth yeah. and we just didn't get to that part <laughs> <laughs> and so this is why yeah this is why pharrell uh which every time i say it i just think pop star but <laughs> this is why he's like calvin i don't, need you don't leave me yeah because he's a bit of a stickler from the beginning
2: yeah he is right like even
1: even while he's in school while he's in school uh his fellow classmates are kind of like hey bud you need to lighten up Mm. um they just a joke for those people who have learned ancient greek they called him the accusative case
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that's hilarious yeah that's a good greek joke um so yeah, so he sets about standardizing things, organizing things, trying to get people in line, and, and does a pretty good job of it. Um, the two of them do together. But there's some political issues that come about, and essentially Calvin and Pharrell both fall out of favor with the city leaders. Um, with all these wars going on in France, there's changing allegiances, and as you mentioned before, Switzerland is like always a bit of a wild card, and the various cities in Switzerland are always a wild card, so... They decide uh, in Geneva that they were gonna they're gonna ally with France against the Holy Roman Empire, and so they're trying to get kind of have favor with the predominantly Roman Catholic French, mm-hmm. and they're harboring Calvin, who is not mm-hmm. who is a Frenchman, who is not in good standing. Um, there is also this incident where. The the kind of the 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 regional churches decide that they're going to use unleavened bread in communion. But Calvin is like, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to I can use whatever kind of bread I want. Scripture doesn't tell me I have to use unleavened bread. I'm not going to do it. And they said, well, you have to. He's like, fine, then I just won't lead communion. And he does it on Easter Sunday, which causes an absolute riot. And um, they're not they're not happy with Calvin. Um, And so he essentially gets kicked out of town. Sure. They're like, you caught you. Like, we liked you for a little bit there when you were calming down all the revelry and the, you know, mm-hmm. all the, all the uh, immorality that was going on. But now you're going to, now you're, you know, you're just you're sticking your nose into things you shouldn't, Calvin. So they, they, they kick him out of town.
1: And this is going to happen for a lot of the reformers. Oh, yeah. A lot of the reformers, it has become the expectation that the religious leaders are pawns in the hands of the government mm-hmm. and we work together to control the people. Mm-hmm. And as reformers refuse to participate, it doesn't matter if it's in Europe, it doesn't matter if it's in the British Isles, wherever this takes place, the great reformers are going to say, no, I'm I'm doing this out of conviction, mm-hmm. not for power and leadership. Mm-hmm. And they don't play along.
2: Yeah. And I think from, from Calvin's perspective, just to clarify, I don't, from what I could tell, at least in, in reading up on it, it wasn't that he thought using unleavened bread was necessarily wrong. Mm -hmm. I think his thing was just like, if you tell me I have to use it and that, that, that communion isn't valid unless I use it, then I'm not going to do it. So it was kind of more of that thing. It's like, if, you know, scripture's not going to force me to do it, then you shouldn't be forcing me to do it. Um, but Calvin, even though he's kicked out of Geneva, he's invited to Strasbourg by a different reformer, Martin Bucer, And, the reality is that there's a number of French refugees, again, because of these wars that are going on, a number of French refugees who are living in Strasbourg who were sheltering there. And so they wanted to bring a French pastor in to minister to the French people that were staying in the city. And so uh, he does. And this is kind of his, his you know, he really gets into his pastor mode here. He would preach or teach every day and twice on Sundays. For very long Oh like yeah stints. For at least an hour. Right. With no notes. Yeah. Like, yeah, dude was a machine.
1: Which at some point you wonder what's the difference between a sermon and a soapbox? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I know some guys like who even today, like who still go for close to an hour. Mm-hmm. But I that's not that's not our, our speed,
1: but yeah, over an hour multiple times a week or a day, no notes.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, how? Yeah, I don't know how you study for that that much preaching. Yeah, like
1: there's a diff. Like, where's the line between ranting and and preaching a prepared message? Right. right. Yeah. Like, how
2: much exposition can you really have in the chamber to fill all that time? Yeah. I don't know. I don't Anyways, we mean, weren't there. He has he Calvin.
1: Uh yeah. And he did did basically write a commentary on the entire Bible. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) So while while doing all this like extreme amount of preaching, he edits his institutes for a new edition, one of several new editions that he's gonna do throughout his life, Mm -hmm. and writes his commentary on Romans, which is probably his most famous commentary, I would I would say. Um and Calvin also gets married. Um and and a lot of people are kind of pressuring him to get married because getting married is also a symbolic break with the Roman Catholic right. doctrine. And he's like, I don't got time. Do you know how much I'm preaching? Right. I don't got time to be married. But so a lot of them are kind of wanting, trying to convince him to marry. There was a, an eligible young noble woman, um, and they set a date. But he kind of backs out. He's like, Nah, I don't want that. But then, <laughs> but then he gets married, and he gets married to a woman named. Um, Idolette de Buer, who actually was a widow and a widow of an Anabaptist, believe it or not. Interesting connection with last week's episode. But for whatever reason, I don't know if she'd abandoned her Anabaptist convictions or or what, but she married John Calvin. She had two children from her previous marriage. She would bear more children with Calvin, um, but all of them would die Mm. in childhood which the Roman Catholic Church would point to as condemnation against this the reason we know that you're false is because right. your kids died yeah. which is rough um yeah and and around this time Geneva, good old Geneva that kicked him out of town they they write to him again and they have been required to they're required to answer a letter one of the cardinals from the Roman Catholic Church has kind of written this open letter to the city of Geneva condemning them for being reformed and they're required to answer and nobody left in Geneva really has the chops to do it. So they write Calvin and they're like, what you doing? <laughs> hey, you. Um, yeah, they want to know if, if Calvin would be willing to write a letter for them. Mm-hmm. And he does. Sure. He does. He is willing to do that. He kind of writes a defense of the reform position in, in, in an answer to this particular cardinal. And then, and then after he does that, the city of Geneva tries to call Calvin back. And he doesn't want to go back. He actually says he'd rather die a thousand deaths right. than have to carry that cross and go back to Geneva. I know. Like, that's tough. <laughs> That's tough that's a that's a rough I mean, like I know that like you know, sometimes pastors have have a rough go in particular congregations, but to say I'd rather die a thousand deaths than go back there that's that's a tough one. How would
1: you like to be sitting in the front row the first Sunday back <laughs> with a big grin on your face as he took the pulpit? <laughs> Welcome back, Brother John. <laughs> it's good to see you, oh, yeah, because in 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 some in some ways, I calvin's institutes it's a systematic theology it explains the fullness of the revelation of god and how it plays out and how things work and intertwine theologically that's what it is in some ways it's kind of an appeal to the king Mm -hmm. france Mm -hmm. yeah the guy kind of just wants to go home yeah yeah and he's just like hey you know what why don't we just stop this madness and I can show you from scripture why this is not heresy. This mm-hmm. is really a thing. Uh it, it's very much in in my opinion, kinda like the letters from Justin Martyr. Hmm. Right? right. Writing in yeah. writing into the ruler, uh, the secular ruler to say, you know, what you know about these believers is wrong and and I can fix that. Um but it's just not working out for him. The the king, the king of France is not persuaded. Mm -hmm. Um, so off to Geneva.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So he does, he, he feels that it's the Lord's calling. So back to Geneva, he goes. Yeah. And, uh, and so he returns there in 1541 and is just kind of doing the whole pastor thing. He's publishing books of church order and catechisms on top of regularly preaching. Um, Yeah, as we mentioned, he would preach long. He would also preach through books of the Bible, like some of the other, like Zwingli and others who would do that. Apparently, he did one sermon series through Deuteronomy. That was over 200 sermons through Deuteronomy. (laughs) So to everyone who's getting tired of Matthew, we could do 200 through Deuteronomy. (laughs) I don't know that we could <laughs> I don't know I don't, I don't know, we, know we, that I, don't, I could I don't think we could man There's no way You'd have to con- Like I think today You would have to like Condense stuff And like skim through Certain parts to be like okay Cause some Some of Deuteronomy Is like The whole chapter Is like the same paragraph Repeated three times mm-hmm. And like Nobody wants to just Dig through I mean maybe some people do But Yeah
1: you could just do that In a busy stint <laughs> Right. right just right. as it repeats so do you oh people so. are like this lazy pastor <laughs> didn't you say this last this is your sermon from last week and you're like yeah well it's also the same
2: the text. bible repeated it so right. so can i right um yeah so that's so that's what he's up to there there is a sense in which so calvin begins advocating for a what's called a consistory which is kind of like a an ecclesiastical court it's almost like a church court to determine theological matters so he still advocates for a degree of separation of church and state but Mm -hmm. he sees the church as having a certain degree of structure and the ability to determine make certain decisions that are church-related decisions yeah and so some people have accused or, or, or thrown the word theocracy around in regard to geneva that it's that it's yeah, it's a state that's run by the church. I don't think that's fair, but it's certainly that the the church leaders in Geneva had a significant influence on the secular rulers, mm-hmm. and we'll see that. Um, these these libertines or these antinomian antinomians that you mentioned, they're still kicking around in Geneva, um, and they're like, grace just not hasn't just freed us from the mosaic law. It's freed us from every law. We don't have to obey anybody, and like freed us from the laws of Christ. Yeah, and man, just like (laughs) all the laws, just there's no laws. We're just we can just do whatever we want because of grace. Anarchy. It's literally anarchy. Absolute. Baptized in the name of Jesus, and so yeah, he's like combating that, speaking out against that. I mean, he's not the one who's directly clamping down on that that's still the secular rulers but he's certainly preaching against it running against it Mm -hmm. turning people over and he's not opposed to people getting what for but you know interestingly enough
1: um we'll get to the specific instance but Mm -hmm. just because i have to play off of your he's not opposed to people getting their what for is part of part of my last minute prep stuff is to just grab like YouTube videos and stuff like that, just sort of low-level stuff and see what people are saying. Mm-hmm. And and this guy who was a historian, but obviously not a church historian. Mm-hmm. And I say, obviously, you'll figure it out. Uh, he's talking about people in Geneva being put to death. Um, and And his point was to say, for all the respect that people have for Calvin... Calvin probably could have done more to prevent people from being put to death. Uh, but in this instance, even the Catholic Church thought that this guy should be put to death. So it was pretty bad. And <laughs> I was <just> like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> because because what have we been talking about yeah. for the last, what, thousand years at this point yeah, of the, the church is just them putting people to death who don't agree. Yeah, they're pretty quick
2: to put people and, to death.
1: And you know what? For all of his... For all of his good, this is Calvin's blind spot, right? Yeah. There are people put to death under Calvin.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not under—see, here's the thing, though, that I want to push back against. It's not under—Calvin wasn't the king of Geneva. No. There was no king. There was a city council. Sure. That he wasn't even technically on. No. He was part of a different group of, like, kind of a pastor's coalition or conference. Would
1: would you call him a part of the group or the chief— Within the group.
2: Chief within the group of the religious leaders, Leader amongst sure. leaders. Yeah. Yeah. But but he's he doesn't sign the execution. That's not what he does. Right. Right? So it's just important to understand. He was for it. I was gonna say. He was for it. But it, he did but it's not based on his sphere of influence,
1: his level of influence. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: He does not wield that to prevent. No. And if he had Things might have changed.
2: Maybe. Yeah.
1: So I do think, mm-hmm. even if he's not the one holding the pin, yeah. he is a chief contributor in inspiring the pen. Yeah. Who signs the order. Yeah. And so I I don't think it's entirely unfair to say that it wasn't under his watch.
2: Yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. He was definitely an influencer.
1: A- and this is where it's kind of funny. We talked about the breadth of people yeah. that would claim themselves I'm Calvinists. I'm showing my hand a little bit, yeah. The breadth of people that would claim themselves Calvinists, mm-hmm. let's say Baptist pastors, Canadian fellowship Baptist pastors who would call themselves Calvinists, mm-hmm. um, would probably have been executed in Geneva.
2: Isaiah and Baptist, probably, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and so when people are like, yeah, I'm a Calvinist, you're like, well... I don't think Calvin would agree.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> well, Calvinism wasn't really a thing even during his life. like. This is something that's that's yeah. Sure, sure. But I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah.
1: saying those people that are just like, <laughs> I'm with Calvin, might have been executed. I I was talking yeah. with a friend of mine, uh, Ian Clary, okay. uh, who's a, now a professor in uh, in Colorado at a Bible college there in Colorado. Uh and we were talking about the Gospel Coalition um is as it was just coming into its infancy. Okay. The TGC Canada. Uh and, and the number of people that were like, you know, we're Calvinists, we're you know, you have to claim Calvinism. He's just like I-, I don't think any of us would have survived in Geneva. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like let's be careful how how we wield that sword.
2: Right, sure, sure.
1: Yet yeah. If you're really interested in Calvin's teachings, in, in particular, uh, the Institute's Christian Faith, mm-hmm. um, the, into the Into Theology podcast, also on the Gospel Coalition Canada, mm-hmm. uh, Ian and Wyatt did an entire read-through and discussion on the Institute's. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely— So, d- if you're into it, it's worth checking out.
2: Yeah. So, so, the individual that we've been alluding to is a guy named Michael Servetus. And he was a, a, actually a brilliant man, um, but he was on the run from various authorities mm-hmm. uh, for various reasons.
1: It's just one of those guys that's just like hated by everybody.
2: Yeah, everybody hated him. Uh, and he made sure of it. Yeah, oh, for sure, yeah. He, so he had published his own theological works, his own kind of treatise, his own yeah. magnum opus, which rejected the idea of original sin and also denied the Trinity. Mm-hmm. He's very big. And he wanted everyone to know that the trinity was a bunch of hogwash which upset everyone like so, the roman catholic church and the protestants hated him for that because that was that was one of the things that that protestants and roman catholics could agree on was their understanding of the trinity and just, this guy threw it all out and and he's hated so much he ends up taking on a pseudonym he does <laughs> and lives like creates
1: for himself his own witness protection program he does he relocates completely shifts his identity and exists in anonymity
2: yeah yeah, and he'd been kicked out of multiple towns. Like he'd he he'd trying to take refuge in some of the Protestant held locations because the Catholic Church, as soon as they caught him, he's dead. Mm-hmm. And so he'd gone to different Protestant places, and they'd all kicked him out of town as soon as they figured out what he's all about. They're like, you you got to leave now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had multiple warrants for his arrest. But when he comes to Geneva, he's recognized. And actually, he and Calvin had corresponded under pseudonyms, right. by letter and kind of argued that way. Um, but when he comes to Geneva, he's taken. And there's a long trial. And Calvin is one of the people who is kind of like bringing up charges against him. Or mm-hmm. it's actually his secretary writes writes up the list. Yep. And, you know, and this whole thing, yeah, Servetus is pretending to be someone else at first. He's like, I don't know who that Michael Servetus guy is. Like, <laughs> no, no clue. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know who you're talking about. Like, I, I'm just a doctor. just Doppelgangers. Tra- traveling, yeah, from town to town. People are like, no, we know who you are. Like, that. yeah. So anyways. Why does it say on your tag? So Geneva kind of writes letters so the, the town actually like writes letters to other cities and other places and even roman catholic leaders on advice as to okay so what do we do with this guy and everyone's like yeah you should probably kill him and they're like hey calvin what do you think we should do he's like yeah you, sh- you should probably kill him and so he is burned at the stake now oh sorry go ahead go ahead i think you're gonna say what I was some say. people claim some sources claim that calvin actually requested that there be leniency here that they only behead him instead of burning him at the stake, but that that was refused.
1: I I was going to say sources, probably favorable to Calvin, Mm -hmm. Uh, also state that while, yes, he agreed it needed to be done, Mm. he also went to him privately multiple times trying to get him to change his statement.
2: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But being given the option personally to be beheaded or burned at the stake, I take beheading every time. Mm -hmm. Quick chop. Who wants to burn this Oh man. Yeah. I don't even like burning myself in the barbecue, like no thanks. I,
1: I don't want it I don't want to downplay mm. burning at the stake mm-hmm. as if it's a holiday. That's not what I'm trying to do. Sure. Sometimes sometimes what they would do is do the ring around them that was far enough out that when they light the ring of fire, it sucks up all the oxygen within the ring oh. and you actually die of suffocation. Okay and then your body's consumed mm. by the fire.
2: Still rather have my head chopped off.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm just saying <laughs> it's no, that's, it's that's, not always No, that's an important thing to know. Yeah,
2: yeah, fair enough. No, that's fair. That's good to know. Um yeah, so <laughs> Yeah, Michael Servetus is not the end. There's ongoing conflicts with the antinomians. They had, they started like this drunken riot and tried to burn down a house full of French people because they hate Calvin so much. They're like, there's French people in that house. Burn it down. <laughs> Just like, let's get drunk and burn a house down. So there's these things that are going on. But but eventually, you know, things kind of quiet down in Geneva. And, and Calvin spends much of his later years actually trying to seek some degree of unity with the other Regions that are reformed, mm-hmm. uh, even with um, even with Cranmer in in England, trying to find a way to, to find common footing um, And and when things go south in England, which we'll, we'll talk about soon, he actually shelters many of the men like John Knox, for example, who were exiled by Queen Mary And, and that's why one of the earliest translations of the English Bible is known as the Geneva Bible. And you're like, wait, Geneva, they don't speak right in Switzerland. They do like German or French. It's like, no, actually, um, those were a bunch of English Protestants who were, who were staying in Geneva and actually wrote a translation of the Bible or who actually translated the Bible there. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of a neat thing. He establishes a university, um, as a school for advanced learning, um, yeah, final years of his life, he's sick. He's getting sick all the time. These guys, they, many of them, they just work themselves to death. Yeah. Like, it's just this common theme, right? Like, if they're not, if they're not martyred, or I guess Zwingli died in battle, uh, which maybe he considered a martyr, himself a martyr. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to ask him. But yeah. in any case, but he dies at the age, ripe old age of 54, Mm-hmm. and um and initially so many people are coming to visit his body that the other reformers in Geneva are concerned that it's going to start a saint cult like the whole thing mm-hmm. that they've been advocating right. against they're like we don't want people worshiping this guy's grave so they bury him in an unmarked grave now apparently over in like the 19th century or something they put a gravestone over top the spot where they was rumored to be mm-hmm. but that may or may not be over his actual grave because he was intentionally buried in an unmarked grave. So yeah, I didn't know that part. That is the end of that is the end of John Calvin. Although it's not the end of Calvinism and Calvinists no. and all that sort of thing.
1: No, and we we are going to have to talk about his doctrine because a little bit, yeah. Although although we would argue that he is more of a solidifier than an instigator, mm-hmm. there are some things that he brings forward that are identified directly with him. I yeah. I don't I don't think I don't think we would say absolutely original thoughts. These thoughts do, don't exist until Calvin comes along. Yeah, it, it's not it's not new in that way.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's the always the thing that I find the most intriguing, even about the term like Calvinism and Calvinist, is like he wasn't just like writing this in a in a vacuum. You know what I mean? Like it's not mm-hmm. as a, these weren't these weren't purely novel things if he was just making stuff up that was brand new people would have looked at him and been like what are you doing man right he was essentially just yeah he was kind of codifying or and organizing where people were at at that time in the reformation and and what people were interpreting from from the bible at that time in that place
1: yeah and he is he is heavily influenced by augustine yeah and luther Mm -hmm. and all the reformers before him Mm mm-hmm Uh, the, so, so he is not just making things up. That's Mm -hmm. extreme number one that we have to speak against. Extreme number two are those people that say Calvin never really taught any of these things. It's all the people that followed him. Calvin himself was not a Calvinist. (laughs) Right. Right. That is also nonsense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we're going to talk about Dort eventually. Yep. Uh, but it, it's not as if the things that take place in Dort, which are led by events that take place at a university in Geneva <laughs> of all places, yeah, uh shortly after calvin's death um it, it, Calvin was a Calvinist, sure, yeah, I mean he he yeah, he held to the things that his name is associated with,
2: yes, that's true.
1: Right. And and what happens is people who want those things to not be taught, but don't have time to actually read Calvin, just want to say, did you know? And then everybody else is like, wow, you know what? It would be really helpful for my cause if that were true. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't have time to verify that. (laughs) So let's just, we could verify it or we could run with it. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I vote run with it. Yeah. And it gets passed around, and I've heard that
2: said so many yeah. times. The thing, though, is like, so Calvin being a Calvinist, like, naturally, but it's like, if you were, you're you're working on your doctorate, right? If you were to, yeah, let's say...
1: I, I I guarantee you, like, 90% of the people listening had no clue that that was the case, but yeah.
2: Okay, well, there you go. Well, Tim's working on his doctorate, so he's gonna be Dr. Tim eventually. Um, <laughs> so, So, but let's say, hypothetically, like, before you die... Mm -hmm. you you write a systematic theology right and you're like i've read scripture as i read scripture this is what i see and people really appreciate it and they're Mm -hmm. like you know what i think tim is on to something here i like the way that he's articulated this i like the way that he's framed this and you're writing it based on scripture and people who like like your book and are like you know what we're going to use this as a foundation for for our theology become timists Mm -hmm. right it's like is it you, or is it your just your interpretation of Scripture? Right. It's like this whole thing, and, the, and this happens on the Calvinist side, and the Arminian side, and Luther. Like, just keep in mind that these these people are it's it's their interpretation of Scripture. Right. That they're putting the work in and saying, "I see it this way," mm-hmm. and people are saying, "I agree with you." It's not necessarily that Calvin or Luther or Arminius or whoever is being elevated to godhood. Right. Um, and so, for those who would s- just say, "Well, any theology named after a person," it's like, "Well, that's just a that's just a label we're putting on it." We
1: we even have modern versions of it. We have Piperites. Sure, yeah. I know <laughs> some MacArthurites. I know, some, I know some, some Piperites. I know some <laughs> MacArthurites. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sprolinian.
2: Sprolinian. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> that's good.
1: I'm not Presbyterian, but I would be Sprolinian just so I could say it. Kellerist. I don't know. No. No, it doesn't fit. Okay, <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Also, not systematic enough, maybe? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, in his second edition of his Institutes, mm-hmm. he introduces what people most greatly associate with being distinctively Calvinistic doctrine. Mm-hmm. and And people are going to say the issue of predestination, right? But here's the thing that you have to know about predestination. Every theologian has a doctrine of predestination. Sure, yeah. The Armenians, the Wesleyans, the Calvinists, the Lutherans. The
2: Roman Catholics.
1: The Roman Catholics. It is a scriptural teaching. Mm-hmm. You cannot teach Ephesians or Romans or John without talking about the word predestination Is a biblical word. Yep. The question is not whether or not it is. The question is what it is. Yeah. That's something that we have to put out there yeah. because people who want to be like, oh, they believe in predestination, right? Well, if your theology doesn't include an explanation of predestination, your theology is undeveloped. Yes. Because it has to be addressed, right? What, what Calvin does that changes the discussion around predestination is he offers a, uh, a double predestination as it will come to be known. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is where he takes a particular passage in Romans, where God is talking about two particular brothers from the patriarchs of the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. and says, one of them I loved and the other one I hated. Mm -hmm. And Calvin says, here's biblical evidence of what only makes logical sense. Mm -hmm. If some are set apart unto salvation, others are predestined to condemnation, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's why it's called double predestination. Mm-hmm. Some are selected to be saved. The elect, a scriptural word, again. Right. Uh, you, if you want to argue what election is, we're here for that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a discussion that's been going on for a very long time. Yep. Right? Uh, and, and I think a discussion worth continuing, yeah, I personally. Would agree. I would agree. Uh, and then there are those who are elected to destruction, Mm-hmm. Basically the other category. Um is there any level of argument to this? The the chosen and the other. Mm. Israel saw it that way.
2: Right, sure, yeah. There were
1: terms of the Jews and the Gentiles, mm-hmm. right? God's chosen people and all the other people. Mm-hmm. I think the argument there would also be that, well, the nations could still come to God. It wasn't like that, Mm. that they were double predestined, right? Mm. Destined for destruction. Right. Um, Although there are a number of passages that talk about, you know, the potter decides how the vessel is going to be used. Is it a vessel for honor or a vessel for destruction? Yeah. Um, Those kinds of things. But this is the conversation... That Calvin brings in that second edition that really sets his soteriology, that is the study of how we come to be Christ's, uh, the study of salvation, it sets his soteriology apart uh, as it becomes popularized.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's probably the most defining factor and the thing that people would most associate with with Calvin is the idea of like double predestination, um, which yeah, for a lot of people, first a lot of people it makes a lot of sense, and for a lot of people, it's really upsetting, and, yeah, and they feel that it's unbiblical and and uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's a it's a tough thing. I think it's important to r- remind people, just as we do our theological triage. It's not a primary order doctrine. Sure. Right? How we understand what predestination is, is not a a primary doctrine. It is not the standard by which we say there are true believers and false believers. Because in this conversation that has continued surrounding Calvin's teaching, people on both sides, Mm -hmm. um, Calvinists calling those who don't embrace this idea false, and, and a lot of people who just really hate Calvin and anything associated with him, saying that anyone who embraces this kind of theology is obviously not of God. Right. Um, and that's just there's no there's no room for that.
1: And and so if you're if you're in a place where you have been sort of raised up spiritually, intellectually, however it is, to have a bias against Calvin. I, I have two points that I want you to think on in your heart and work through one it's it's not worth doing to take the worst of a group of followers and label them the rule rather than the exception oh yeah there is a thing called hyper calvinism yep there is that calvinists themselves will speak against Mm -hmm. right there when we get to uh spurgeon Spurgeon would consider himself a Calvinist, but will fight against the hyper-Calvinist, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That doesn't end. That still continues. Yeah, it's
2: still going on today.
1: Um, I, I'm going to make it three things. The, the second thing is, well, if that's the case, then evangelism and missions don't matter at all. And what's the point of it all?
2: Yeah, to that, I would say, look up a list of the greatest missionary heroes. Carrie, and others, Mm -hmm. um, they're almost all Calvinists actually.
1: Right. And, and when people would say, you know, those, even within the church, it doesn't matter. Mm. I I would say there's a good chance that a lot of your heroes, whether you know it or not, might be Calvinists. The heroes of our day, Mm -hmm. the last number of years, number of decades, Sproul, mhm. Piper,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Uh Keller, mhm. Right? Uh who else am I missing that would just MacArthur, MacArthur? Those people that are just one name, we know who they are, we reference their stuff. Uh most more often than not, those people are going to be Calvinists. Mm-hmm. Um the the last thing that I would say, if you're just sort of in a place where you're you're bent to come against I would just say it is an unfair thing for us to assume that this thing that identifies him, double predestination, mm. is the bulk of his conversation mm. in what he talked about. Because it's not.
2: It's not. Not at all.
1: It's not what he's preaching about day in and day out. It's not what he writes about all of the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? I, I, would, I would even say it's, it's not even close to the majority topic. Mm-hmm. Calvin is interested in God's glory. Yeah. God glorifying himself. And he believes, sure, that one way God does that is through a process of election and double predestination. mm mm-hmm. Uh, But he's not consumed with it the way that anti-Calvinists are consumed with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? And and there are a lot of anti-Calvinists who are far more consumed with this position than he is. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, I think at this point, people will be like, oh, well, Tim would also obviously count himself a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. I think Calvin and his contribution to Christian thought is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't feel like I need to carry anybody's name in my faith except for the name of Christ. Sure. I think there's biblical warning against it. I, I'm not going to write folks yeah. up and be like, hey, you got to stop calling yourself a Calvinist because that's sinful. No, whatever. I don't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, Paul does the whole like neither Paul nor Apollos thing. Yeah. And when people were, were starting to get into camps based on a person's teachings or whatever. Right. And, and getting into that. Mm-hmm. And and I've been called wishy-washy for not claiming or denying one and like taking up stock in a camp i i just personally don't need the camp right and do i agree with everything calvin says well of course not obviously not i'm not i'm a baptist (laughs) um (laughs) but at the same time do i think everything calvin said is wrong no Mm -hmm. no i think he nailed a lot of stuff and i think he made I think God used him at his place and time to make contributions to the Christian faith that are unmatched. Yeah. In a lot of ways.
2: Yeah. I think yeah, looking back, I mean, the way that he kind of standardized things and put things together would be deeply influential in a number of the church movements that we're going to talk about and not just kind of like Heidelberg catechism you know, Dutch Reformed, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. or even Westminster Confession, Presbyterian stuff. But it would even be influential in the life of the early Baptist church. So even though we're going to deviate significantly on certain things from where mm-hmm. John Calvin was at, his work is still going to be extremely influential, even in the theology of the Baptist tradition, right. even though we're not carbon copies. Right. Um, because
1: if, if the westminster is based off of in large part the teachings of calvin mm-hmm. had copyright laws existed then as they do now <laughs> the 1689 would be under investigation it's so true yeah. the baptist the london baptist confession of faith yeah would have been under investigation for plagiarism oh yeah for sure uh because it is it is a copy paste with a couple of changes here and there <laughs> Yeah,
2: (laughs) it's it's, you're not wrong, but but we're getting ahead of ourselves by about a century or so. So. (laughs) All right, then
1: let's wrap it up Mm. before we get even further ahead of ourselves. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time.
2: Take care.